Hello, good evening, and welcome to Broken Oars Podcast. It's very David Frost, isn't it? Hello, good evening, welcome to This Was the Week That Was in the World of Rowing. Um, this is the northern one from Broken Oars Podcast, and I am recording a little Broken Thoughts bonus episode here at the back end of June. I'm doing so without my wonderful partner in pod, Dr. Lewin Hines, uh, because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does, I'm recording this because over the last couple of days of this weekend, um, but actually stretching back several weeks now, and actually several months, we're looking at seven, eight or nine months, there have been discussions ongoing and conversations ongoing and points of view flying back and forth in the Twitter sphere, the rowing Twitter sphere, about certain rowing clubs undertaking what might be charitably be called sharp practices, but would more accurately be called cold and deliberate cheating. Some things flying back and forth about umpiring decisions, some things flying back and forth about you only pick on us because we are X, Y and Z type clubs. And what that means for the sport of rowing. Now, I've got involved in these because I'm a rower and it's the sport of my heart and moving the sport forward as a wonderful episode with the wonderful Mark Davis indicates we have to be in dialogue to move forward and our job and our sacred duty is to leave the sport in a better position than we found it. And I think that the practices that we've been talking about on the Twitter timelines recently are not good practices and I don't think that they move the sport forward and I don't think that they're gonna leave the sport in a better place then we found it, which is why I've spoken out against them. Now, I ended up on Tideway Snail's timeline and Adrian Ellison's timeline and Obese Man Rowing's timeline and Rebecca Caro's timeline and Tez Chipchase's timeline. Hello, Tez, how are you doing? Um, and I was repeating the same points over and over again. So I decided to bring it all together in a broken thoughts, put it up there, and then if anyone wants to reply, they can, you know, they can drop us a line, they can come on the podcast and talk about it, they can get on the Twitter feed and go, you're talking absolute nonsense, Jackson, you know you've got a history of it, all of that kind of stuff, that's fine, it's all part of the dialogue. I think the first thing that I'm going to say is when I engaged in these conversations with um, Tideway Snail or Beastman Rowing, Tez and Rebecca, I did so off my own bat. I didn't ring up Lewin and say, look, I'm going to say this. Does this represent our official position? The things that I said came out under Broken Horse Podcast, but they were they were kind of my takes on it. I've since seen, as I've come back in after a, a busy and hectic weekend out, outdoors in the fresh air, to see that he's pretty much endorsed my position and endorsed the things that I've kind of said about it. Um... So I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to tease out and tease through why I've said the things I've said and, and, and why I stand by what I've said. So what are we talking about? We are talking about um, over the last seven or eight or nine months in British rowing, there has been a tendency for certain clubs to be somewhat economical with the truth with regards to the crews they're putting out, who's in those crews some fiddling of entry categories um, and that kind of thing. And we're now coming to the sharp end of the summer when the prestigious events that we all know and love are up and out and things like Women's Henley and Henley Royal Regatta and some of those clubs who have been pinged for, let's be blunt, cheating 
are now all over social media going, look at our wonderful athletes doing wonderful things at these wonderful and prestigious events. And I don't think that that is um, a particularly good look for those clubs. I don't think it's a particularly good look for the sport. And I think that the practices involved um, are ones that we all have to police. It's as blunt as that. So, okay, these are my opinions and positions. So let's get into it. So let's take a wider holistic view of the sport in the UK as it currently stands. Okay, so the reality is in this country, rowing is still a fundamentally class-based sport. It has ongoing issues around the barriers to entry, it has ongoing issues around public perception, who does the sport, what sort of people, what sort of class they come from, who can do it and who can't do it. And its participation figures since Rio aren't good. As Mark pointed out in our most recent podcast, we lose 10,000 rowers from the sport every year. And that churn is something that has to stop. That we still struggle with these issues is unfortunately, and I don't want to be the northern monkey here, and I, I'll just say, you know, as a, as a um, tangential point, I play up to the whole northern thing and the how we a man can he lad and all of that stuff because it makes for interesting pod viewing and because I like to make Lewin laugh and, and all of those things. My humour is fundamentally self-deprecating. I would rather take the piss out of myself for the punchline of a joke than make someone else feel bad about themselves and make them the punchline of a joke. But the reality of it is, and the reason why I flag that up is because this overview is not coming from a ideological position or a um, political position or a regional position. It's just an, an overview of the sport and where we are at this point in time based upon its history in Britain. The reason we struggle with those issues that I've just identified is as a large part a result of the legacy that the current administration, the sports infrastructure and the prestige of the sport grew out of a gentleman amateur ethos that was hypocritical, hidebound and divisive at the time, ignoring as it did a thriving ongoing professional and working men's rowing club system and culture that predated them, evolved alongside them, were a damn sight quicker than them, and who were subsequently ignored as the sport as the sport evolved into its modern iteration because they didn't have the right accent and background. And yes, I have been to see Hadaway Harry with the wonderful Jamie Brown in, in the title role. But I knew all of this before I went to see it. So this isn't northern chippiness. As I say, I play up to the northern monkey stereotype on Broken Horse for fun. But the reality is, if you don't already know anything about my history, I've lived and worked in Aberdeen, Edinburgh, London, Manchester and Sheffield. And I've taken something from all of those experiences. Now, personally, I can't see quite why Yorkshiremen think that Yorkshire is God's own county. But I understand that every region has an idea of its own exceptionalism and narrates its own agreed self-image. And that extends to our sport. Our sport will narrate its own agreed self-image. And if we're all at Henley and it's all looking wonderful and the sun is out and we're at Women's Henley and Henley Royal Regatta, then all is right with the world and it's fantastic. But the reality is that it's not actually. There are still, there are still issues, challenges and opportunities that we have to face. So with that in mind, the above points about the way rowing has evolved in this country and 
why it currently is the way that it is and why the issues that I flagged up on these timelines are important is because the what I've just said are facts and it's an ongoing reality. Everything in rowing points south from where the administrative structure is based to where the squad is based and where you have to be if you want to be in it to what are considered the most prestigious events. Now I'm not going to mention some of the events that predate Henley and some of the events that were far more prestigious in the day and attracted far more entries and had far more prize money and far more spectators on the banks. But they do exist. It hasn't always been Henley and women's Henley. The reason why I flag this up is because the one thing, the one thing that I think saves rowing in this country is the idea, the idea that it is egalitarian and a meritocracy that you are, you reach the level that you are good enough to reach on your own merits, okay? I think that this idea is what redeems the sport despite the issues that it still has. It is the only high performance sport or the only elite sport that I can think of off the top of my head, my little Geordie head, where you can start in September as a rank novice having never picked up an oar or sat on a rowing machine and if you do the work and you're good enough you can end up on the start line at Women's Henley or Henley Royal the following summer. Now these are not just two of the most prestigious events in world rowing, they're two of the most prestigious events in world sport. That is the blunt reality of it. The equivalent in any other sport would be like picking up a tennis racket in September and walking out on centre court at Wimbledon nine months later in July. It would be like being given a football in September and turning out as for the FA Cup final at Wembley nine months later. I cite this because I know rowers who have done this and this achievement is sterling. It should never be undersold or underplayed. It represents a mammoth, monumental achievement. And despite all of the issues that I've just outlined, what saves rowing what redeems rowing is the idea that it's a meritocracy, that you get to where you get to on your own merits. You don't get a leg up. You can't buy a place on the start line at Henley. You've got to earn it. And you've got to earn it yourself. Okay? Now, this might be a fanciful idea of mine. It might be a completely idealistic and unrealistic idea of mine. But I think that it is the one thing in our sport that redeems us, that we have that idea of meritocracy, that we have idea of fair play, that we have idea of a level playing field, that we have that idea of fair competition. Now, at the start of this weekend, at the back end of June here, on um, Obese Man Rowing's thread, I said that Oxford Brooks were right to receive a public warning for not trying during their row over at Women's Henley. And I've said also on, I think, uh, Tideway Snails and Rebecca Caro's timelines that I don't think that Thames RC should be anywhere near Women's Henley or Henley this year because they were caught cheating earlier this season. And, you know, we live in a very small part of the Twitter universe. We're, we're, we don't trend. We, you know, we don't have a huge amount of followers. Lou and I just do our podcast the way that we do it because actually it gives us an excuse to ring each other up, catch up, talk about rowing and interview incredibly interesting people. So when our timeline started exploding with the, that's ridiculous, that's disproportionate, that's, you know, 
the amount of comments, I've got them in front of me. You're only picking on Oxford Brooks because they're Oxford Brooks. No, I'm not. Um, that's a disproportionate punishment. Well, the reality is that I wasn't picking on Oxford Brooks, and it isn't. And here's why. Firstly, on both occasions, the responses that my positions got didn't acknowledge the context in which I'd framed the comments, okay? I'd, the context in which I'd framed the comments. Oxford Brooks's warning was the umpire's decision. As such, the umpire weighed their actions in context and made their decision based on the evidence in front of them, based on the rules of the event. Okay? So disputing this or suggesting that the umpire made the wrong call is a little bit like disputing the umpire's decision in cricket. Now, the reality is that cricket is not what it was. Batsmen don't go until they've reviewed it. They don't walk even if they know they've nicked it in case for some reason they manage to get out. You know, cricket is a fundamentally schizophrenic sport and the, the sooner that it deals with the fact that it came from it came from a position of being a heavily gambled, sharp practice, cheating sport. It had to become this somehow nobler paragon of virtue symbol of British middle class and aristocratic fair play and stiff upper lip values. And now it's in the hard commercial world of sport. It's never got to grips with it. Okay. The nearest I can think of is rugby, where you see huge 18 stone men battering the living shit out of each other and the referee says this now and no one bats an eyelid, they just go yes sir and get on with it. We're not football, okay? It's not, oh VAR this and refer that and shout at the referee and F, F and Jeff this and all of that kind of stuff, we're rowing. The umpire makes a call based on what they can see in front of them. No one gets in a boat to umpire at these events unless they're competent. No one gets in a boat to umpire at these events unless they know the rules of the event and they will make the appropriate call based on the evidence in front of them. And that's what they did, they did with OB, with Oxford Brooks. Secondly, the idea was floated that Oxford Brooks were pinged for this because they're Oxford Brooks. Oh, people treat us like we're the Bash Street kids, you know, and there's a sentiment that's just against us. Now, I wrote for Agecroft, Lewin wrote for Agecroft, Dennis, you know, was far better than Alex Ferguson at fostering a siege mentality. Nobody likes us, all of the rest of it. And other rowing clubs do that because if that's what it motivates you to go down the track fast, then great, and it's wonderful. And we got all of the jibes. We got, oh, great, the Northern Barbarians are here. Have you washed the blue off for the day? All of this kind of stuff. It's part and parcel of rowing. There are, ox there are boat race rowers who will get the jibes about, oh, you've signed up for the one-year land management course, have you? So all this stuff about you're only pinging us because we're Oxford Brooks. Oh, because we're the Bash Street kids and we get all of the, have you seen a textbook this year type comments is absolute and utter nonsense. But while we're on this, the umpire didn't made the decision on what they could see in front of them on the day. But let's be brutally honest about it. Oxford Brooks have a history of this. At Henley Royal in 2021, it looked like they were racing each other to the barrier and then winding down after that, having previously decided that whoever was first by that point would go through to the next round. They had a lot of boats at Henley and well done to them. They are a powerhouse, they're churning out great rowers, they're churning out great boats. But this was rightly pinged at the time because it was clearly a club level, predetermined, pre-agreed decision to try and conserve energy for future races that was absolutely against the rules and spirit of the event, the sport, and just racing and rowing boats. 
Manipulating the results in this way is, let's be blunt, cheating. Was the decision at Women's Henley this year influenced by last year? No, it wasn't. The umpire based it on what happened, what they saw in front of them. Do Oxford Brooks have a history of doing this? Yes, they do. Are, picking pe are people picking on them because they're Oxford Brooks? No, they're calling them out because they have a history of sharp practice and then playing the you're only doing this because we're Oxford Brooks card. And that's not good enough because the reality is that these decisions are being taken at club and crew level by coaches and crews. So this isn't, oh, you're picking on speed. No, we're pointing out that you're not playing by the rules and you're not following the spirit of the sport. And you're playing the victim card rather than actually holding your hands up and going, you're right, our fault, mere culpa, we won't do it again, we'll win clean and we'll show you how good we can be. Fantastic, well done you. In engaging with these conversations, my stating that clubs who'd been found gu guilty of manipulating their crews and entries to gain advantageous results should be nowhere near Women's Henley or Henley this year. Hello Thames, how are you? was met with a lot of comments. Oh, that's punishing the athletes. Oh, it's the coach's fault. You shouldn't punish the athletes. You shouldn't punish the, the clubs. That's disproportionate. It was just an administrative error. Punishing the athletes, yes, and? And? What's your point? The idea that the athletes didn't know what was happening simply will not wash. This isn't Russia. They're not 13-year-old gymnasts being given vitamin pills you would have to be pretty dense, and rowers are not pretty dense as a catchment, not to know that you, you are racing in the wrong category of club or champ, or you've been put in the wrong crew. Now we talk a lot on the podcast and in the wider sporting culture about athletes taking ownership, taking ownership of their training, taking ownership of their process, taking ownership of their, their competition, taking ownership of their results, that we're all about the learning experience and the growing experience and all of the rest of it. They have to take ownership of this because the idea that evil coaches did this and poor, innocent, unknowing athletes were unwitting victims of a conspiracy that they knew nothing about is absolute and utter bollocks. Now, I rode at Agecroft, as I've mentioned, and as Dan at Newcastle likes to point out, Agecroft, who the fuck are they? Because he likes to wind me up, because to him I am old and grey and near the grave, and he is young and vigorous, and all of the rest of it. Now, I wouldn't say when I was at Agecroft that I was a particularly well-informed or engaged rower. I didn't know a lot of the things that I now know about the history of rowing in this country, about the way that the infrastructure has evolved along class-based lines and all of those types of things, about the evolution of the club system. I was pretty centrally focused on my training, my scores, my test results, um, the squads that I was in. I knew the club's ambitions for the year. Um, what races I was doing and and that was it. It was kind of a tunnel vision. But I will tell you this, and I'm pretty sure that Lewin would agree with me. I knew my points. I knew the points of everyone who was in the boat with me. I knew the points of all of the oppositions that we were lining up against. I knew what it would mean if we if we won. I knew all of those things. So the idea that the athletes didn't know simply will not wash. We've had the idea of strict liability since about 1995. So the idea that somehow 
this was a conspiracy that took place and they just unwittingly ended up in the wrong boat in the wrong category when they shouldn't have been there and they didn't know is, as I've already said, absolute nonsense. I had tunnel vision as a rower when I was, you know, I was never fast like Lewin, but I was, you know, all right. I knew, but I always knew what boat I was in. I always knew where I was racing. I always knew what category and why. And I always knew how that would inform the shape of my season, of the crew season and, and the, how it informed the club's ambitions. For someone else to come back and say, oh, well, it, you know, you shouldn't punish them because it's an administrative error. Well, if we're being charitable, we'd say that is disingenuous in the extreme, isn't it? Really. An administrative error suggests you were rushing out the door and you ticked the wrong box before dropping it in the post. My partner in Pod Lewin pointed out last autumn that Tideway clubs were manipulating crew entries and parachuting in rowers who shouldn't have been in their boats. And he got a load of crap for it. Where's your evidence? was the cry. So he provided the evidence and the people who said, where's your evidence? said, I'm not accepting that as evidence. And so we left it. And several months later, the exact same clubs that and crews that he had picked up were faffing about with their categories and their entries were the ones that were pinged for it. This isn't as simple as I ticked the wrong box. The entry system is, you know, might for some people be seen as complex, but it's actually fairly straightforward and the categories are fairly straightforward and British Rowing website has got, you know, all, all the resources and advice that you need to, to make the right choices. And what we were looking at here and what we are looking at as a sport was deliberate, calculated and cold attempts to manipulate crews and entries for the advantage of those athletes in that club. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is cheating. That's it. That's it. It's cheating. So let's go back and take the wider holistic view again. So why did they cheat them? We have this idea of the sport of being, you know, a meritocracy and you get to where you get to on your own merits and you it's a fair and level competition playing field. Why did they cheat? Well, let's take a look at the clubs involved. Hello, Thames, again. The clubs involved sell themselves on the idea that they are a high performance club who can get rowers to both Henley regattas, to the prestigious regattas. This isn't me reading anything into it. Their Henley results, their Henley achievements are all over their social media. It's all over their literature. It's all over their internet presence. Now, Lou and I have talked on the pod before about the way that high performance and university rowing programs do this. We've talked about it because people like Hodge and Di Binley and others have said, you know, and Kath Bishop, we learn to row at university. And we've had Rory Corpus on from Oxford Brooks who went, if you want to row at Oxford Brooks, you need these scores. And we've went, okay, well, that's closing down a pathway to the sport that a lot of previous greats have taken and a lot of unknowns have taken who've ended up being stalwarts of the sport. Agecroft got loads of people from the University of Manchester and Manchester Met when they'd finished their degree. People like Sean, who ended up being a fantastic club captain. People like Maddie, who ended up being a wonderful Cox. They, they, they never won Olympic medals, but they were, became the backbone of the club. And that's the sort of people that you're trying to attract. Because of 
the participation numbers because of the pressure and the need to get achievement and because of if you are a club that achieves these things you can sell your club on the back of it to the point when we talked to Dan Armstrong recently universities sell academic courses on the back of their rowing programs being successful ones that will get them to books and will get them to Henley and rowing clubs are exactly the same with the universities there is money on hand there are tuition fees on on hand there are competition there is competition for rowers who can elevate a club and if it's someone who's been through a university high performance program like the University of Manchester or Durham University Boat Club or Newcastle, the University of Newcastle upon time, and they finish their degree and they're now out in the world, but they want to continue to row at a high level, the idea of come to us, we can get you to Henley is a really seductive message. And it isn't a subtext. It's a blatant and overt message because it's all over the literature, it's all over the social media feed, it's all over the internet presence, how well they do at Henley. But the problem with having programs that sell themselves on getting the rowers to the prestigious regattas and then doing well at them means that they have to then get to them and do well at them. Because if you don't, those rowers will go somewhere else. When it's get there or it's your job as a coach, then you're trying to stack the deck in your favour. And you might say that's human nature. But it's exactly what you can't do if you want to maintain your integrity as a rower, as a club and as a coach. And with all due respect, and it's probably going to put some people's backs up and it might lose us some listeners, that's exactly what's been happening with some crews this year and last year as well. I go back to the first point I made here that one of the things that sustains rowing with all of its issues and challenges and opportunities is the idea that it's a meritocracy, no matter how tenuous that idea is. And once we lose that idea, and once we start manipulating crews, and once we start manipulating entries to stack the deck in our favour, then we've lost it. And it's gone, and it won't come back. Now here's some history that informs the above when everyone out there is listening to this going oh you're overreacting it was just it was just a couple of entries it doesn't matter anything in the grand scheme of things really really come on man i started rowing for agecroft um at the time when i did it was under dennis o'neill uh loon and i have joked about him saying that he's you know he's president for life in the same way that some people are president for life of small banana republics but let's be blunt Dennis O'Neill is a very, very successful high-performance coach with a track record of success, a track record of making Agecroft, along with Kev and Steve, one of the best clubs in the country. And at the time when I joined, none of those things were in evidence. The boat shed was a tin shed on the side of the river. The, the boathouse that, that we've got now, all of those things didn't exist. What he did have, though, was an exceptional group of rowers and people like John Beresford, Mark Parson, James Benson, uh, Ali Williams, um, Simon Charles, um, Knuckles, Ben, Aussie Ben. Now those rowers in the, in the noughties, the beginning of the millennium, made something like six semi-finals and a final in the Thames Challenge Cup at Henley in a row. Now for those of you who don't know, the Thames Challenge Cup is a club event for club rowers. And on most of the occasions when they, they made those amazing runs to the semis and to the finals, 
they ran slap bang into Leander and lost. Sometimes narrowly, but they lost. Now, Leander had a right to be there at the time. Their rowers at the time were technically club oarsmen entering a club event. But there is a world of difference between being an IT manager uh, like Mark Parsons or a trainee solicitor like John Beresford uh, or Simon Charles or a teacher or whatever and fitting your training in around your 50 hour plus work week and being a Leander rower an international or a junior international or a wannabe international training three times a day at the de facto then home of British rowing. Now the rules were subsequently changed and I don't remember in that time Dennis or any of the rowers that I've just mentioned ever complaining about the disparity or the unlevel playing field that they were on. Because Dennis is a highly competitive man and his thing was you beat who's in front of you or you don't. You get your 2k score or you don't. That's the reality of it. But I can't help thinking that what happened for those five, six, seven years was behind his decision in 2009 not to go for the Thames Challenge Cup again, but to split the top eight between the Brit, the Britannia and the Wyfold and try for the first time to use the eight guys underneath those eight guys to try and get another boat to Henley in the Thames Challenge Cup. And in the 2008-2009 season, that's pretty much what we did. And Dennis's decision not to go for the Thames with his, with his top rowers again was justified because we pre-qualified all three boats for Henley. We had, we had the, the four in the Brit and, the wife, and another four in the Wyfold and then we had the uh, eight in the Thames Challenge Cup. We got three boats to Henley in 2009 and we got more boats to Henley in 2010 which for the size of our squad at the time was an exceptional achievement. The rowers that he put in, into the Brit won it. The rows that he put into the Wyfold did well and we got to Henley for the first time. I was one of those rowers in 2009 and Lewin was another and it was the first time I'd ever been to Henley. It was the culmination of years of work by myself and by the club and by the coaches as a whole and we did it on our own merits because one of the things that actually gets you into Henley is your performance throughout the season at the heads and the regattas that matter. It was very hard work, the barrier to entry was high, but having cleared it, we knew we'd elevated our own standing as rowers and that of the club fairly through hard work. Now, if we'd been pipped at the post by other clubs who manipulated their crews and entries to get wins earlier in the season that they shouldn't have got, I would have been bouncing off the walls about that. Because the reality is that committees look at the performances throughout the season to see who should go straight into the, into the draw. So, looking at that bit of history, on that basis alone, I don't think that saying that clubs who get pinged for, and let's be blunt, cheating this season, should be anywhere near the showpiece events. Because if that had been me in 2009 and 2010, being denied finally achieving a lifelong dream because of someone else's deliberate decision to cheat, I'd want to smack them in the mouth. And I would certainly be looking at the sport that I love through very different eyes and the idea that I cling to that it is a meritocracy would not exist anymore. Now there's a tendency in British rowing to think that we're better than other sports and that is largely because we are. 
let's be quite brutally and frankly honest about it. We've just had Mark Davis on and he's pointed out that rowing offers so much in terms of physical benefits, mental health benefits, uh, community and, and engagement, connecting people to people, all things that we can leverage to make more of our sport than we already do. But because of its history and because if the sun is out and Henley is on and the river is shining and we've all got our party frocks on and the boats are barreling up and down the track, everything must be well in the garden. We have a tendency to think that things are rosy in the garden because things are much as they always were and always have been. The reality is that we are losing ground. Participation numbers are down. We lose 10,000 rowers a year. If we could stop that churn, can you imagine how powerful and how wonderful our sport would be? We are a small sport competing for attention and engagement and being blind to our faults does not help. The wonderful thing about rowing, the wonderful thing about rowing is that it is a sport made up of strong-willed, stubborn individuals. I've never met a rower yet who, who didn't have self-confidence and a strong opinion of themselves and others. We all know why the boat is going badly and it's usually the other seven people because we're perfect. I'm exaggerating for comic effect. But the beauty of it is that for the boat to move in the right direction and for the boat read the sport to move in the right direction, all of those individual egos, all of the snark, all of the clashes, all of the issues have to be resolved and put to one side. Otherwise the boat will go sideways down the river or not go anywhere because people are too busy bickering and argue and arguing. That's the beautiful thing about rowing. The individual is suborn to the good of the collective, whether it's the boat or the sport. Now Henley Women's Regatta, um, Henley Royal Regatta, National Championships, books, they should be goals for any rower. Henley Masters, if you're past a certain age, should be goals for any rower. They should be crowning achievements. They should be things that you, you keep your, your kit that you have printed for the time up and you look back on it when you're old and gray like what I is. But for them to retain their allure and their prestige, they have to be goals that are earned fairly and they have to be celebrated as such because if they aren't, they're worthless. If you're a rower who's there because you lied about something or you manipulated something earlier in the season, you're no different to the, the drug cheat standing on the podium at the Olympics, smiling for the cameras, knowing that you've been taking little blue pills or injecting yourself in the arse with something. It's really as simple as that. We shouldn't defend the indefensible just because, because it's our club and you're picking on us, because that's a disproportionate comment, because it isn't really because otherwise we're devaluing ourselves and we're devaluing our sport and we're devaluing our own self-image. And rowing is too important for us to do that. So there you go. That's why I said the things I said. You might not agree with them. You might, I, I don't know. I imagine we'll probably lose some listeners, but hey, Loon will be along shortly with some sciencey stuff. So thanks for listening. Look after yourselves and um, catch up soon. Bye for now.